This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? It's Roshan here. Welcome back to another episode of Inspiring Design. And we've actually got a special edition episode today with the Director of Education from Microsoft, all the way from Washington, D.C., from the United States. She's got a very strong passion with student success and making them future ready with the right skill sets. Um, She's the creator of the Student Teacher Education Program at Microsoft, the chief scriptwriter and strategist at for the Microsoft Showcase Classroom in London, as well as a ridiculous portfolio and experience spanning over 20 years of experience in the education sector. Um, Everything stemming from teaching to consultancy, Jennifer King is a massive thought leader in education, and we are very lucky to have her here today. Jennifer, thank you so much for giving up your time. No, you're welcome. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Can we kick things off by giving a little bit of background on yourself um, and including your role at Microsoft? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my, my current role at Microsoft is I'm the Director of Education for the 21st Century Job Skills and Employability Team. And my team sits in worldwide learning. So our um, organization is really focused on uh, world-class capabilities for our customers and partners and our internal employees. And my team is brand new. It's about a year old. And we're really focusing on solving um, a pretty wicked problem out there, which is um, how do we upskill humanity in the face of the fourth um, industrial revolution? So that's um, it's kind of a big problem. We haven't solved it yet yep. in a year, uh, but that's, um, that's sort of what I do. I look after the education market for our uh, portfolio of products. And I also do um, thought leadership around the future of education. That's amazing, actually, because I think it's perfectly aligned with what's happening in Australia as well, uh, with the syllabus changes on a national scale. And, um, and there's a big focus along with the embracing the change and solving that exact same problem. So this is perfect. Um, and yeah, sorry, I interrupted you, but um, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's okay. Um, so a little bit about my background. Um, I wasn't always an educator. I actually studied as a graphic designer. I have a BFA. Mm-hmm. And um, it just turned out that I, I I wasn't fulfilling. It didn't feel like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing in life. So I joined um, an organization in the U.S. called the Peace Corps. And I, I went to Tonga for mm-hmm. two years. And in Tonga is where I became a teacher. And I fell in love with the profession. I just loved everything about it. And um, after after Tonga, I went to England. And then I went to Zambia. And then I went back to London. And this whole time, I was uh, sort of, you know, growing as an educator. And it was becoming pretty clear to me that it was easy to teach to a test, but it wasn't easy to teach to sustainable um, 
uh, life after graduation, mm-hmm. and that my students could pass their exams, but was I were they getting employed? And so that's when I became interested in project-based learning, mm-hmm. and I became sort of a pioneer in this space. Mm-hmm. It was quite a while ago, and I was uh, starting to make employer and uh, business connections between um, the college. I was the head of department uh, for media and film studies, and I was bringing in industry. And then this is when Microsoft started notice, noticing what I was doing, and they asked me to be a Microsoft Innovative Educator Expert. And I joined that program in its early days, and in those days it was a competition, and we would um, – be uh, selected by judges, those who won. Mm-hmm. And so my students uh, created apps and we, I happened to win and it was, it was wonderful. I was flown all over the world. It was great. And that was the beginning of my relationship with Microsoft. I didn't really have any intention of leaving the classroom. Um, it just was a, it was a process over a slow period of time. Yep. And uh, they just kept asking me to do a few more things and a few more things. And then it turned out that I uh, took a break from, from teaching. We moved out of my district and I decided to be a stay at home mom for um, all of three months before I started my own <laughs> business. <laughs> and, um, with, and once I did that, um, Microsoft, that, that was it. They were just like, you know, come in and, and work for us and, and do this. And so I developed the student teacher education program for, mm-hmm. for Microsoft, which I believe some of the universities in Australia are using. Yeah, perfect. And it's about um, training teachers before they become teachers in the growth mindset and having them really think about productivity, the, um, how do they make their uh, lives easier, all that paperwork and administration that you have to do out, outside of teaching, like how do you speed that up, mm-hmm. and then also really focusing on 21st century skills. So that's um, <laughs> that's, that's basically me in a nutshell, and then I came here to the, to the U.S. Um, and started my current role. Wow, that's actually really impressive. And, and I find it um, quite relevant to myself as well, because my background was in architecture and um, I was in conventional practice for a few years before I realized that education was my passion and and transition into that. So, And it's interesting that you were firstly a graphic designer and then moved into this space. So that's, that's brilliant. You've, you found your calling. Yeah, I think I think teaching is really creative, and um, I I enjoyed graphic design, but it didn't have enough humans in it. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just really like other people and and helping them and and working with them, uh, but I get to be creative at the same time. That's brilliant. I think that's probably why Microsoft has recognized your skill sets and invited them on board, invited you on board. So that's that's perfect, making some real difference. Um, can you tell me a little bit about JK Education Solutions? I believe that was your consultancy based on um, project-based learning and teacher professional development. Yes. So JK, yes, is um, my fourth baby. <laughs> I have a, I have, I have three girls, and I started um, JK Education Solutions uh, between number two and number three. Yep. And uh, it's it was a. Um, at first, it was a paperwork exercise, so I could go into uh, colleges and start start working with them on creating project-based learning schemes. And then I realized there was really a lot to this, that we could develop um, 
these really innovative ways of getting students to connect to employers and demonstrate their skills outside of the curriculum. And so one of the first uh, schools that I worked with was UTC Reading in the UK, and they went from um, a satisfactory Ofsted rating all the way to outstanding based on uh, this um, project-based learning experience that we developed for them. And so we were getting some really excellent results out of it. And from there, uh, as that expanded, I also decided to bring in a lot of um, professional development for teachers to help them use Microsoft technologies uh, to become facilitators and really focus on the teacher not being so much the sage on the stage, but rather someone who is there that, that just lives the growth mindset. You know, I might not know how to code or I might not know um, what AR, VR is, but I'm going to work this out with my students. And how do you do that in a really effective, productive way where your student outcomes um, uh, are get better each year? Yeah, that's perfect, actually, because um, w- uh, one of the episodes I spoke to recently, um, a really forward-thinking teacher, actually, she's a head of Department of Technology, I believe, um, called uh, named Sharon and um, we were literally discussing facilitation and how to embrace that. Um, it's almost like a level of vulnerability of not knowing all the answers and and working it through with the students. So that I'm so glad to hear that's how it's done on the other side of the world as well. And, and it's part of uh, one of the biggest companies in the world as well and in, in facilitation in education. So um, it actually gives me a little bit of relief. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really cool way of thinking about it. I hadn't, I hadn't put those two into together. I'm, I'm a big fan of Brené Brown, and mm. she talks a lot about vulnerability. And bringing vulnerability into education seems, um, it seems like there's a lot of that there already because we have to have emotional connections with our students. Yeah. But actually, teachers spend a lot of their time building that armor of they know the answers. And so if you break down that armor and you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you're going to demonstrate for your students more of that growth mindset and you'll grow yourself. Exactly right. I think that's perfect. And in I've found that the result, it's the same methodology that I use within with uh, with my students in um, at, at a university level and it's the same mindset I use when we do teacher training at a secondary level and you still regardless of the end outcome whether they are a teacher or a student you you become almost like a friend um, and that teacher student barrier becomes more of a mentorship and everyone has fun doing things because everyone feels like they're along on the same journey together and you're not alone and um and I find that it's actually quite enriching for everyone. It, it uh, breaks down barriers in a very uh, human way, I believe. Absolutely. That's great. And um, anyway, so let's get down to brass tacks. One of the things that I wanted to ask you was, um, in your opinion, what are some education disruptors that you foresee that can potentially change or even affect the future of education in the next uh, 5 to 10 to 20, 30 years? Yeah, well, I 
I think what's really interesting right now is that the the world is admits the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. So we have gone through three previous ones, and each one has absolutely rocked the world. Yep. They have rocked governments, and they have changed the way we think, um, and education has changed as well. Um, but we're still actually, we haven't really responded um, in an agile way to the latest, to this fourth industrial revolution. And in fact, we're still teaching very much like we did <laughs> a couple hundred years ago. Yep. And um, this means that we, you know, still having students sit in desks. We're still assuming that they're going to go through a, um, a linear process and then they graduate and then they're done with education. Yep. And as our lifespan increases and as the likelihood of this concept of ret- retirement decreases, it means that we're going to have to um, really change the way we think about a linear learning process that you're not going to be able to do primary school, secondary school, tertiary, graduate, and done. Mm-hmm. Rather, you're going to need to be in a cyclical cycle of learning experiences that um, help you continue staying current your whole life so that you can um, you know, move, move professions easily, learn new technologies easily, and really embody that um, lifelong learning. Yep. So the things that um, are going to to help that happen will be um, will be AI and machine learning. In the first instance, we're still a little way away from AI being a reality in the classroom, and all teachers can breathe a sigh of relief. AI will never replace an educator. <laughs> Our jobs are actually really safe in this space because you can't um, program that human connection I was talking about. You know, the coaching, the mentoring, you just, mm-hmm. you can't have that. Um, but we can create really personalized learning experiences for for each one of our students. Yep. And AI can be really powerful to create this personalized learning that can um, break down a lot of bias that exists in, in in um, the current education system. But in order to do that, we have to, technology companies really have to be mindful of who trains the AI and how it's being built and taught and how it's being used. Um, If you have a bunch of middle-class white guys in a room creating an AI bot and teaching it, that's the kind of bias that you'll you'll get in your technology, that it won't necessarily um, have a diverse audience and, and won't necessarily um, counteract bias. So I think it's a, an moral imperative as we go forward with AI that we are um, including diversity of thought and, and diversity in demographics. Um, as well as us being conscious of our own behaviors, that as the as AI learns, you know, are we as humans really acting in our in the best interests? You know, if if uh, AI is out there learning off of the internet and you're just a troll on the internet, mm-hmm. then it will mm-hmm. learn to troll. So this is all really vital in in education that we want to make sure that we're developing AI that counteracts bias, that creates these personal learning um, experiences for their students. 
things. And then you have also really cool technology that's out there. I mean, we've got inking and the new Surface Hub has just come out. Um, and we have AR and VR, you know, the HoloLens. Uh, it's just absolutely fascinating, particularly for CTE, for um, career and technical education, mm-hmm. um, having being able to uh, learn the trades through VR. It's just pretty awesome stuff out there. I think so. It's um, it's actually that really cool time education, even from a teacher's point of view. It's actually kind of like playing with all these new cool toys, and um, it's almost discovering those toys and learning how to use them with your students. And it it, it is like you said, it's the fourth industrial revolution, and in education, it's shifting that classroom that we know so well for the last century almost, and um, it's shifting into something that we don't really know. And I think that's one of the biggest concerns uh, for teachers around the world and and in Australia here as well, because um, it it is there's a lot of unknown, and um, embracing that fear is actually part of it. And, um, and that's where a lot of the work that we do um, in making sure the teachers have, feel supported and they get the right information at the right time um, so that they can move forward confidently in evolving what they know is, um, is education and the classroom. So I think it's, it's really cool. And, and that can you clarify how, um, inter- if you could rank almost these technological impacts like AI, um, VR, um, AR, and, um, and and anything else, even even the tools you mentioned before, which ones do you think need to be prioritized um, for teachers that are brand new to this and that that they're just trying to embrace and learn it? Which how do they how do you think they should approach it and prioritize these new technologies? Well, I think I might turn that on its head a little bit Mm -hmm. um, in that we're going to have to be embracing new technologies for our whole lives, you know, for for the next 60 years, um, you know, our lifespans are are very long now. So over the next 60 years, we're going to need to be learning all of these new technologies and so focusing on, on, oh, I should, I should definitely learn this one. This is the one I should do is where we are um, making choices about our future by trying to guess mm-hmm. and trying to predict what's going to happen. Whereas we really need to get really comfortable with the unknown. Like we just have to just wallow around in that and say, actually, I am going to focus on how I learn. I'm going to think about how I learn technology best, and then I'm going to start testing how I learn. And you can pick any technology to do it, because the important part is that you get really quick and figuring out what is the quickest way for you to get comfortable with the technology to be able to um, to master it and move on to whatever is coming out next. And I say this because I basically have to do this every week. I mean, Microsoft is incessant in its, in its inventions and what it comes up with, and I'm getting constant update emails and having to uh, you know react to these things. And it has now become old hand. So whereas I used to be like, oh my gosh, there's another OneNote update with all these new features and I have to learn all these new features, 
And instead, I've just like turned that on its head and been like, I know now the best way to do it um, uh, for me is that I just make sure that my OneNote is open all the time, that I'm using it regularly, and that I usually discover these features um, and and try them out. So, but if I if I you know categorize this, say, oh, I am going to go and check out how the math function works on um, OneNote, and then I go and use it, but it's not like related to anything, it's not in the flow of my work, mm-hmm. I won't remember. <laughs> so um, I, I've sort of devised my own way of learning technology, but that's really what I would stress for new teachers out there is to get really comfortable with learning technology quick. Yeah, yeah. and I believe you're referring to learning through play. Yes, yes. There, yeah. There's two um, two sort of word, you know, terms jargon that you can use for that. Learning through play, absolutely. Um, you know, really tapping into our most natural form of learning, which is trial and error. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and then also learning within the flow of work. So you're you're not breaking out of your regular job to learn, but rather it's happening intuitively. And an example of that um, is is if you have a phone update and you like you know you're a pretty good power user on your phone like you know how to use all you know whatsapp facebook whatever like you're you're pretty good on your phone yeah and then you get this update and then suddenly while you're using your phone you get these little pop-ups that are like oh have you tried swiping left to do this and it and at first when this happened to me i thought it was really annoying i was like i know how to use my phone <laughs> No, X, 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 get rid of it. Um, But then I started reading it. And as I was using my phone, I became better at using my phone. Mm. And this is the, this is this concept of um, learning in the flow of work. Yeah. And I think it's quite important. I see this a lot um, at a tertiary level, more so than the secondary level here in Australia, because um, especially in the design industries, the number of softwares alone that students need to learn, it's its ridiculous. So for, to give you some context, in architecture alone, there's at least eight, 10 softwares, and they're fairly complex Autodesk, um, Adobe softwares that they need to learn. And I've, um, SketchUp is, a, is one of the very simpler ones. And um, I think it works really well with Microsoft HoloLens. And um, I've found that students because they're focused on their grades they tend to take the safer route and not necessarily explore these tools and uh, new technologies because they think it's it's going to be at the sacrifice of their grades but in the long run working through that uh, workflow and and exploring these tools in the process of doing an assignment or some sort of a design that they need to do even if it costs them a little bit of their grades, it's actually much better in the long run. And I've found that um, my own colleagues and friends who did that during a tertiary level to learn these tools in um, instead of getting a high distinction, they would have gotten a credit for that subject. But now they're working in very specialized roles that elevated themselves because they went through and chose that process and uh, i find that it's 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 great it's um, much more rewarding and it's a perfect way of learning i believe 
Absolutely. The um, the World Economic Forum just re- released their um, 2018 report, and in it, they figure that we're going to need 101 extra days of learning um, in order to keep up with the technology by 2022. Wow. Like 101, that's a third of the year we would need to be spent, will need to be spent learning. And the education system, like that's our business. Our business is learning, yet we don't give the students the space to to really learn how they learn um, and really give them the, the space to uh, spend the time to gradually absorb information or, or figure out how to do that. I, I think it's so important that, I mean, we deal with that in, um, in corporate America where, you know, people are like, execute, execute, you know, do it, do it, do it, get it done. And we don't have the time to really think about it. And if the education system isn't, preparing students for um, what they need to do in these 101 uh, learning days, then it's going to be much harder for them to keep up with the rate of change. 101. That's astonishing. And this is actually the first time I've heard that. And and something while you were just explaining went through my head was um, I've heard this statistic that explains that most people spend roughly one 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 hour to two to three hours per day on social media and what that spans over five years is almost 120 some odd days of physically spending time on social media nothing productive or um, adding any value they're literally wasting time and i feel like to find that 101 days of learning per year that's i think one small step towards that, I feel like. <laughs> that, is, that is so interesting. That's really interesting. In fact, I do think there are, um, you know, there are current ed tech products out there that are trying to harness the, the power of social media mm. in catching students where they are and bringing the learning to them on social media through advertising. Um, but but positive advertising mm. um, to prompt them to go and do their homework. Uh, so it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, something else that I've recently come across is, especially from the UK, and I could be completely wrong, so please correct me if so. Um, I believe that podcasts are now becoming a source of learning and in a new methodology almost to um, access the world's knowledge from different people around the world and the United Kingdoms has actually got a very big push with the support of BBC to envelop and integrate podcasts into the classroom so that students can literally learn wherever they are whether it's at home in the living room or in the classroom but actually allowing time to explore that so they can find podcasts of whatever the topic that might suit them and um, as, as a new source of information uh, did you have any thoughts on that i say great <laughs> yes absolutely uh the bbc has always been a, 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 a pioneer forerunner in podcast mm-hmm. and they do have an amazing selection of them um, and I, I love the fact that we get as much diversity of thought as we can into the classroom and we really democratize access to the to podcasts so in order to to really embrace this idea of learning anytime anywhere uh, governments are going to really need to 
take a much stronger stance on inter, um, broadband for all. They're going to need to be able to help uh, school systems have one-to-one device ratios. Uh, we're going to need to really work on having that technology equity for students to be able to access it. Yeah, yeah. And that's great. I think um, they've got they've got all of those tools in the palm of their hands with any type of smartphone, whether even if it's Android or OS. And um, it, it, it facilitates that learning and um, it's it's really cool and exciting. <laughs> at least at least I, I think it can be. <laughs> Definitely. Hopefully they'll listen to this one. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah, I've actually got some really good feedback from my students, um, whether they're teachers or at a tertiary level, and uh, they are finding a lot of value from it. So it's it's a good thing, and I'm sure they get, they'll get a lot from uh, your insights as well. Um, but I wanted to actually take the conversation to a, on a tangent, actually, and ask you, in your opinion, how do you define, firstly, what what are 21st century skills? Before we get into listing them almost, what envelops 21st century skills? Um, so 21st century skills are the skills that we need to function in today's society and today's work, uh, sort of in uh, trans- transferable skills that mm-hmm. you could take to any profession. And generally, the use of technology is needed now across almost every profession and, and it will be, it'll be ubiquitous and mm-hmm. in 10 years, every job will be a tech job. Yeah. And, uh, we, these skills create the foundation of what we need today to be successful at work. And then as we look further down the timeline, they're going to create the basis of what's going to separate us between um, humans and the machines. Mm-hmm. So most of 21st century skills will be skills that cannot be replicated by AI. Yeah, that's actually well said. I think um, it, the human element always needs to be there. And I think even if we learn something from all these movies in the past, from the 80s, predicting what the 2000 is going to look like, and even the movies now that are predicting the future, I think that human element is always the most important and it needs to be the center. And and you're right, like those are the skills that make you more valuable. So if we had to list this, and this is something I always get asked because there are some gray areas and of, um, you know, different articles and research papers say different things. Um, Social media sometimes says different things. In your point of view, what are the 21st century skills that um, that students and teachers should focus on. So yeah, there's the I think there's sort of a classic list that people talk about: um, communication, collaboration, mm-hmm. um, knowledge acquisition, um, use of technology. I think there's a pretty classic list yep. that you can pull up. Um, but if we look at the World Economic Forum, and they've they've got their emerging skills and their declining um, skills. Mm -hmm. And in there, I like to pick out a few that I think are really important for us to start building into lessons if if they're not already there. Mm -hmm. And um, one of those is creativity. Yep. So there was... There was a bit of a movement in the U.S., a really unfortunate one, that as uh, budgets 
were cut, so was art. And art really, um, here in, in the home, my, in, uh, Washington State, uh, elementary schools do not have um, art teachers. Oh, wow. And it, it's up to the classroom teacher to ensure that they're putting art lessons into uh, into the day. And there's just something special about your art teacher, I think. <laughs> um, it just gives the students a, a, a different type of space in order to create and, and to express themselves. And they're, losing that idea is, I think, is going to be really detrimental. It's going to be very hard to recreate the concept of creativity in a, in a robot. And it's not just to create art, although art is, is one of those skills that will separate us and um, making, making things that are beautiful and making meaning and being able to create symbols and metaphors uh, through visuals and, and music, you know, all of that is, is wonderful, mm. but also creative problem solving. Yeah. So really looking at a really complex, uh, sticky, wicked problem that has tons of complexities. That's a dilemma. Maybe mm -hmm. there is no solution. You just have to kind of work your way through it. These are the, this is where this complex problem solving comes in. And this is where the, the creativity is going to help us do that. Yeah. So that's sort of yeah. the, the first one. And then the, the next one is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Being able to uh, connect with other humans, being able to uh, work in organizations with them, being able to inspire and lead, uh, being able to work together and uh, and really just having really hyper awareness of how humans work together uh, is is going to be pretty powerful. Definitely, you're. I believe you're referring to uh, skill uh, along with emotional intelligence, um, empathizing with other humans at a, at a professional level and at a personal level. I think those are things that machines won't be able to do. Is that right? Oh yes, that, that's right. I mean, empathy, empathy is the starting point for a lot of, uh, a lot of the good things in the world. Um, and, and including design thinking, that's what, that's the, uh, the, really the heart of design thinking is empathy. Yeah. I'm glad you said those words because design thinking is one of my areas of expertise. And, um, when we facilitate workshops, we literally start with empathy and, um, and it's actually, really interesting to see how the creative and critical problem solving skills stem from the base of empathy and um, regardless of the industry or the sector or the actual physical problem if there's humans involved that's where you need to start and that's where things stem from and that's we find that it always leads to that um, what some people call innovations that they wouldn't have come up with if they just went through the same approach of here's a problem i'm going to find a solution based on my bias and based on my pre-existing notions i'm going to ignore everything else i'm just going to jump to a solution which is what we're i think wired to do as a human because there's a problem we just need to find a solution fix it move move on but uh, when we take the time to stop and think about that and then take that proper approach with empathy, with human-centric design and um, emotional intelligence, research, putting ourselves in the point of view of the 
user, whatever that might be, whether if we're designing an app to a service, to a school teacher, um, it all, it's, a, it's this, it, I find that it, um, all these core values are still the same approach regardless of the sector. And, um, and this is why I love design thinking. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's pretty fantastic. Uh, my team is centered around design thinking. That's our primary um, uh, way we, we solve the wicked problem that's in front of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm relatively new to it, actually. I have had many different versions of design thinking. So I taught the International Baccalaureate for mm -hmm. a while. And they have a pretty cool design cycle that they use in their um, middle years program. And I had, it's, it's a very simplified sort of version of what the design thinking was. So when I took my current role at Microsoft, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll be fine at that. Um, and then I really got, I, I started getting knee deep into, in how to do it. And you go through a process yourself of, of having to be really uncomfortable. You have to say, actually, I think most of the time, even as a designer myself, I've just been assuming a whole bunch of stuff and I've just been rushing through and I haven't been giving enough time to figuring out what the root cause is of what I'm trying to solve. And so it's been a real growth, growth for me personally, um, learning about it. Definitely. It's, um, it's always that barrier. Even every single teacher that we come across almost every single time have that same comment towards us saying, why are we doing this? We, we need to start ideating. That's where the design solutions come from. Actually, you know what? No, you need to trust the process, stop and not just jumping into conclusion. And I feel like whenever they do that, they're too constricted by their own past upbringings and their education. They're, they're, um, it limits the um, broadness and range of ideas and the, and, and the um, solutions that can come out of it when they walk through that approach. And every single time, it's really fun, actually, when we see teachers come up with ideas that they never thought they could ever do. And it happens every single time. Um, in fact, actually, one of the teachers at the last workshop, the group of teachers came up with a really cool idea on um, how to d encourage more citizens in Australia to donate more blood. And they've come up with some really cool methods. And given that it's a very sensitive topic, it was very dif um, difficult but relevant. And a lot of fears and and um, assumptions and knowledge around this stigma of you know fear of needles and giving blood. And but it's also a really good thing because it's going to help people. Um, and they came up with this idea that one of the teachers came up to me and said, "Oh, I actually don't want to present this idea in front of the." front of the front of the class and I said why what's going on and he said we want to go patent this first because this is like a million dollar startup <laughs> idea <laughs> and I said that's that's incredible and would you have come up with that if you didn't go through this design thinking approach and he's like oh definitely definitely not and um, this is why we want to make sure we patent it first and I said look you know what I'm, I'm, I promise not to steal your idea. Why don't you do that after this workshop? But you still have to present. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to get everyone to sign NDAs before your workshop. Yeah, I, th I think I should start offering that um, um, option to them if they want to do that. Because it's this is actually the third time we've had a group of teachers say that to us. And, and they were they were 
whether they were serious or not, they were contemplating quitting their teaching career to pursue this startup idea. I'm like, that's brilliant. <laughs> Man, the power of design thinking. Like, if only we could just do that to education itself. Exactly. You know, like, I, I think about this all. One of, one of the things that, that um, when I left the classroom, I, I did move out of my district. So I had made it, it, was, it would be very difficult difficult to commute to my um, college, but I could have if I really had tried. But I was in this point where I had a, a brand new family and I needed flexible working. And it seems that education is the last profession that's left that just does not seem to embrace flexible working. Mm. Like how, how can we get teachers to be able to have their work-life balance too? Yep. And, um, and just really applying design thinking can come up with some pretty awesome solutions to, to what I think is a, is an important and wicked problem. I definitely agree. And one of the methodologies when we were, when I founded inspired education with my team of trainers, when we, started offering these different solutions it was actually based on that addressing that same problem and one of the things um, that stem from it is giving that time back to teachers so that they can um, use that time more productively whether it's uh, it's for work-life balance or whether they want to spend that time learning or whether um, they want to spend more time one-on-one with with students that need that extra little bit of attention and it's it's quite hard to um, facilitate given the excessive amount of workload that, that, that teachers have just outside of the teaching in the classroom, just from the paperwork and the other duties and, and um, on top of that learning, like you said, the 101 days, I, don't, I think they'll, like, they're literally not going to believe me when I say 101 days, so I'm glad that it came from you. Um, but they, because they, they struggle to even find the couple of hours to play on a software or, um, you know, unpack a VR headset and, and just put it on and see what happens. Most of them are doing this at 10, 11 and 12 at nighttime after they've spent time with their family and preparing usually for the lesson the next day. So the way we found the solution, uh, it's a solution in the, in the right direction. It doesn't address everything at this point, but the industry involvement needs to become much heavier and their involvement actually gives back relevant information and takes that pressure off the um, teacher's hands on trying to firstly filter from all this information that's out there. And if the industry's involvement is giving them the right set of information, um, they can then spend that time on uh, more productively, whether it, whatever, with whatever they want to focus on. And it also then becomes a feedback loop and the education industry also then evolves with the industry, with all these um, technology changes that happens and they don't need to, they can actually embrace it and everyone moves forward. So it's um, it's a slower process to embrace and a hard, very hard one, <laughs> like you said, to actually embed into the sector. But um, I think it, we're taking tiny steps in all in the right direction though. Mm, absolutely. Um, one of the last things I wanted to actually ask, like now I'm a massive fan of Bill Gates. Like he is literally one of my biggest idols and um, I read about him a lot. And one of his values is is the five hour rule and um, spending one hour a day, five days a week um, 
on some sort of learning, whether it's reading a book. And I believe he goes through about, from memory, it was about 40 to 50 books a year. And that's incredible. And I believe he still does that even in his age now and consistently does that. So from everything that you've mentioned, I feel like the values of his learning and leadership and uh, the, the foundation of Microsoft seems to come through. Is that um, part of the actual culture of Microsoft? Oh yes, I mean learning. Learning is definitely part part of the culture, uh, and in in fact, it's even more so now with Satya Nadella at, at the helm than it was with Bill. Um, Bill has matured a lot <laughs> <laughs> since he uh, um, stepped away from Microsoft, mm. um, and we've had some some really awesome changes. Uh, I, I wasn't. I'm sort of speaking from hearsay in that I wasn't necessarily around when when um, the pre Satya Nadella, but. Uh, he has taken over and really put education as a key priority for Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And with that comes learning. And he is changing the mindset of employees at Microsoft to be a growth mindset where you need to be, you know, going to the root cause. You need to be starting with solving the right problem. Um, you need to be uh, failing fast. Mm-hmm. You need to be, um, you know, uh, always open-minded and and moving forward and taking risks, uh, and also giving yourself a lot of grace. It's really hard to embody the growth mindset if you're a perfectionist. Yep. And yeah. it's really also very hard to embody the growth mindset if you're surrounded by people that you fear. And so it's really uh, been an awesome change in the culture for managers to be allowing people to you know, take those risks and, um, and speak their minds and really grow together as a company. Yeah. Yeah, and I believe it starts with um, facilitating a platform, whether even at a Microsoft level or in the classroom, allowing people to make mistakes and and telling them that it it's actually okay failing forward and learning from it and then moving forward and approaching it as a approaching and embracing it as a lifelong journey and a long term thing rather than a short term fix for whatever is in front of them. So I, I think that's great. And, and, um, it's, it's really good to see these big companies leading the way, um, with these types of thing, with these types of learning. I, yeah, I think, I think so. It gives me a lot of hope that, you know, the generations that are going through, um, school now will be going into companies who have who have gone through the change already and they've transformed and they're ready to um, welcome Gen Gen Z and and Alpha generation with open arms into this growth mindset um, and that hopefully the educators have prepared them for that as well. That's it. That's it. I think you've um, beautifully said summarized that and um, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, before we leave, would you like to share any last words? words um, or words of wisdom from your point of view? Um, I think it's just, you know, for the teachers that are listening to this podcast, you know, build in that growth mindset as much as you can. Encourage that creativity. Um, give your students the space to have that emotional intelligence and, and give them some complex problems. You know, trust them 
work with them and don't worry if you don't know the answers. I don't either. And I work at Microsoft. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I think that's beautifully said, Jennifer. Thank you so much for giving up your precious time. And uh, I know you're a very busy individual and um, I'm sure the listeners are going to gain a lot from today, what you have said, um, as well as the students as well. So thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thank you.